Bigfoot, Nessie, Chupacabra. Are these and other purported monsters the real deal? Are they really not more than a fantasy of those who want to believe? We'll ask those questions on The Cryptid Report. Welcome to The Cryptid Report. I am Jim Harold, and so glad to be with you. Now, one of the, the cool things about having a show called The Cryptid Report is we just don't have to focus on maybe Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster, like these hugely known kind of monsters. We can delve into some of the local cases and maybe cases that are well-known but are not massively popular like Bigfoot. And one of those things that's been talked about a lot is the Jersey Devil. Now, certainly among those who are followers in the cryptid community, a very familiar name, but maybe if you're not a cryptid person, maybe you've kind of heard of the Jersey Devil. You don't know much about it. But we're going to fix that today because we have a great guest, Hunter Shea. He has a recent book out. It's a fiction book, but it it is based on kind of some of the reality here and, and some of the things that have been reported. So we're going to talk a little fact, a little fiction today. And Hunter is the product of a misspent childhood, watching scary movies, reading forbidden books, and wishing Bigfoot would walk past his house. That's why I wrote a book called The Jersey Devil. <laughs> if it weren't for In Search Of. Hey, me too. He'd probably be an accountant today. He just doesn't write about the paranormal. He actively seeks out the things that scare the hell out of people, and he wants to experience them for himself. A cryptid enthusiast with a flair for the dramatic, he's the author of books such as The Monowak Monster, The Dover Demon, The Jersey Devil, and Loch Ness Revenge. And uh, also, his novels can be found on display at the International Cryptozoology Museum, in Portland, Maine. His video podcast, Monster Men, check it out, is one of the most watched horror podcasts in the world. His books are written with the express desire to quicken heartbeats and make spines tingle. And we're so glad to have him on the show today. Hunter, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. This is, this is an honor, Jim. Oh, no, no. The honor is mine. And you sent me the books and you had a nice inscription here. And Hunter's also been a storyteller on our campfire show and a longtime supporter. So we really do appreciate it very much. Hunter, why? There's so many different cryptids out there. Why the Jersey Devil? Well, I'm a New Yorker. And to me, I grew up knowing about the Jersey Devil. I mean, it's it's so popular in this tri-state area that, I mean, we have a hockey team named after the devils. <laughs> so you can't, especially once I go over the George Washington Bridge and step into Jersey, I can't find anybody that doesn't know about the tale, whether they know some twisted version of it or the, you know, the accepted legend of the Jersey devil. It's just, it's part of our DNA out here. And it's something that I always wanted to write about. And I just needed that, the opportunity to do it and the right editor. And I found a perfect one at Pinnacle, who is just as twisted as I am, <laughs> and from the area. So after my first book with them, The Montauk Monster, was uh, successful, he says, okay, because come meet me for dinner. Let's talk about the next monster we're going to do. And I, uh, I was actually going to do a Bigfoot book, and I had an idea about this Bigfoot book that I drew up for about three weeks. And on the train ride down, I thought, no, you know what? Let me just throw out the Jersey Devil idea and see if he wants to do that. And we sat down to dinner and I said, what monster would you like me to do? And he said, how about the Jersey Devil? Said, <laughs> there we go. Divine Providence. Here we go. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. So we took it from there. So maybe there are people out there who have heard the name, not familiar with the legend. Can you give us the thumbnail of, of the legend? 
Sure. The Jersey Devil, is, it's, it's a legend that stretches all the way back to the mid-1700s. So we're talking colonial America, out in the Pine Barrens, which for those who – I think a lot of people think Jersey is just uh, the Bada Bing and Sopranos land. But the Pine Barrens, it's a million acres of just primeval forest. It's literally – you go there and it's like entering a, another world. You might as well be in Siberia without so much snow. Mama Leeds – they had a homestead out in Leeds Point. There, in it's not far from modern day Atlantic City. And she had twelve children, and she was pregnant with her thirteenth, which she was not very happy about. So, uh, legend has it that she, as she was going through labor, she cursed the child and offered it up to the devil because she just did not want this child. And I guess it was a very difficult labor. And there are one of two ways. She either gave birth to a perfectly normal child that then transformed into this winged creature that flew around the room and eventually out the window and disappeared into the night. Or it came out looking like a devil with cloven hooves and wings, the face kind of like a goat with a long neck. It's just this terrifying chimera of just different creatures all blended into one. And that's where it's been ever since trolling the Pine Barrens. People, even to this day, hear the Jersey Devil, maybe more than they see the Jersey Devil. There's lots of uh, reports of screeches and howls and weird sounds in the night and recordings. But yeah, I mean, supposedly the devil has been there since the mid-1700s and is still lurking around. And you won't find uh, many folks out there in the Pine Barrens who don't think that there is something out there. Now, let me ask you, obviously, any story like this is kind of built up and maybe exaggerated just a tad. But do you really think that there is, at the base of it, something to this? You know, I thought it was just, I thought it was kind of like a silly kind of folk story, you know, growing up. And then when we were going to do the book, I, my brother-in-law, who is a Jersey boy, he said, come on, let's go out to the Barrens. We'll, uh, we'll go explore and take a look around and we'll talk to people. And we drove out there for hours, it felt like. And we're two city boys, and you stuck us in the middle of the woods with no provisions other than cell phones that didn't work. So not, <laughs> not the brightest idea. But we went out there and fearlessly just would drive off into the woods and walk around. And I looked at him at one point. And I said, you know something? I said, if a brontosaurus walked through these woods right now, I wouldn't even bat an eye. I'd say, yep, there's a dinosaur out here. <laughs> I, it's just it's you get such a chilling feeling when you're out there and it's just like I said, it's like walking into another world. It's a world of just infinite possibilities. Do I believe that a, a woman gave birth to a demon? No, but I do believe there was probably something out there, whether it was something that we don't understand or somebody that was maybe deformed and maybe crazy that scared people. And just think about it. If you had somebody that was just a little off. And you're in the middle of the woods and you don't have any neighbors and there are no lights other than your candlelight. And they, you hear strange things and you see somebody walking around the woods who doesn't seem quite like everybody else. I mean, that would be terrifying. And I think that's kind of where this legend was born. But when I met with the locals out there, probably one out of every three had a Jersey Devil story whether it was either first-hand account or it was my father or my father's uncle saw the Jersey Devil. But the biggest thing I found out there was people believing in Bigfoot. In fact, a lot of first-hand accounts of 
bipedal, large, hairy creatures out in the woods, especially folks do a lot of late night ATVing out there. Uh, so I was at a uh, signing down in the Pine Barrens a few months ago, and I met a few people out there, which just, they came for the Jersey Devil book and brought with uh, themselves these Bigfoot stories that just had me just ignoring people who wanted to get a book signed. <laughs> I said, wait a second, I have a Bigfoot story over here. And it went in line with everything that we had gathered when we were out a couple of years ago. Just people believe something is in those woods and people do see strange things in the, in the barrens. And I, I don't doubt them at this point, especially once you see them face to face and you can look them in the eye and look, I, I don't have the greatest BS detector, but I don't think every single person was pulling my leg. And even if one person was telling the truth, well, that's that's enough for me. Right. And that's the way I feel. I mean, a lot of these kind of people you talk to, yeah, there's there's people that have fish tales, you know, the kind of stories. But I think that a lot of people are salt of the earth and they just say, hey, this is what I experienced. This is what I saw. I'm not, and I, I bet you a lot of them aren't even like paranormal or cryptid enthusiasts. They're just like the, the local shopkeeper or whatever it might be, the local mechanic, just kind of regular folks who have had something weird happen to them. Yeah, the one that really got me, there was a man, he came, he was, he worked in Home Depot and he liked to drive his ATV at night and he was literally, if I saw him at night, I would think he was a Bigfoot. He was enormous, <laughs> just tall and broad, young guy. And when he was recounting his story of, he was out with a friend and they were riding their bikes uh, through the Pine Barrens and they'd been out for about an hour and it was a near full moon. So they had good visibility. And he says he's going down this trail and he just sees this huge eight, nine foot man-shaped shadow come out from the trees. And he's headed straight forward. And his he didn't know whether he should just, you know, to put on the brakes, keep going, swerve off, because it wasn't moving. It was just staying right there in the middle of the trail. And he thought if it was a person, they would have the common sense to run out of the way because he was going about 40 miles an hour. But at the last second, whatever it was, moved to the side. He said he was about two feet away from it when he passed by it. And the look of absolute terror in his face when he was recounting the story that had happened five years ago, it just, it chilled me. I said, he saw something that has deeply affected him now five years later where he's telling the story, he's almost trembling. And this was a huge man who you would think would not be afraid of anything. So it's stories like that that just keep me going and just want to delve further and further into cryptozoology and ghost stories and things like that because I just love to hear the strange things that people see. And then I twist it and put my own spin on things. <laughs> <laughs> and I do want to talk about the, the the book. One thing, though, I want to ask you about, and this kind of thing always fascinates me when you think about somebody like Charles Fort and, and so forth, and some of the old accounts, old newspaper accounts of sightings of various kind of creatures, whether it be sea creatures or different weird Fortiana that's happened over the many decades and, and years back. Were you able to uncover maybe any older source material or have you seen anything like that, like newspaper accounts from the turn of the century or anything like that about the Jersey Devil? The Jersey Devil, actually, there was a flap, kind of like a UFO flap, a flap of Jersey Devil sightings in 1909. So and there were newspaper accounts of the different. Uh, it, it got so bad that people posses were organized to go out and search for it. It was a combination of missing animals, visual sightings of the Jersey Devil, 
hearing the Jersey Devils screeching and walking, running on people's rooftops. It stretched all the way down near to near Philadelphia. I mean, it was a large swath of land that happened over, I think I have to say maybe it was a week and a half. Uh, so, and it was reported in some of the major papers of the time. And it wasn't like what they do now. Uh, I know you've talked about that. If they talk about uh, UFOs on the news, you know, you're going to hear the X-Files music and it's all tongue in cheek. I mean, they reported it pretty seriously at the time. And reported it as the Jersey Devil. They weren't even necessarily saying that it was a, a crazy person or people pulling a hoax because it had a lot of people really upset and angry and out to find it. So, and that wasn't really that long ago when you think about it. A hundred years ago, not in the world of human history, that's not that far ago. And that was enough to get everybody organized like an old Frankenstein movie with the pitchforks and the torches and go out there and try to find this thing. And, well, Lord knows what they would have done if they found it. I'm pretty sure they would have tried to kill it because it was taking away, taking their animals. And uh, there were some murdered pets and livestock that happened along the way. Yeah. And to me, you know, it's one thing to say that there's a supernatural creature or an interdimensional creature that is appearing and doing these things. On the other hand, it's quite another thing to maybe it's some kind of lost species. Of course, I know what the retort's going to be. Well, we've never found a body. You know, it's the old thing about Bigfoot. But I'm I'm far, I'm kind of like in the middle. I'm, I'm not to the point where I could say, oh, yeah, there, there's probably a Jersey devil and it's coming from another dimension. On the other hand, I I can believe that there was maybe some species at some point that uh, was about to die off or just a couple, or as you said, a case of mistaken identity, that it does stem from something real. Same thing with Bigfoot. That's kind of where I am. Yeah. It's funny. I think people are starting to grasp at straws now. Bigfoot's very popular. And there's, I think there's more, there's so many people out there with trap cams and uh, TV shows. And now as it goes further and further and people don't find bodies well now you have to come up with alternate solutions so it's uh are the bigfoot actually ghosts are they coming from alien ships somebody i just was uh talking to gave me a theory about how they bury their dead which is why you don't find the bodies so it seems that we try to do whatever we can to keep a legend going and then try to ward off modern science and people looking for hard evidence but I do believe it's something like the Jersey Devil, which people don't say there are Jersey Devils all over the place. This is a very concentrated legend. It's in one particular area of one state in the United States. And I do believe it was it could have been an animal or a person that was just not right physically, maybe both mentally as well. And for all we know, it's some type of animal that passed on and there's just something wrong with that particular – there's something wrong genetically with that animal and it's out there and it mates and it – you know another generation comes along. But it's also it, – there aren't many of them. So if it did die in the barrens, you'd never find that body ever as opposed to if you have a family of Bigfoot and they're everywhere. They're in East Texas. They're in Washington. You'd have to find a body somewhere I would think with so many people out there looking, actively looking. Now, taking the leap from kind of the historic perspective and anecdotal reports and those kind of things and kind of taking those and then turning them into a novel, talk to us about that. I have in my hands here The Jersey Devil and uh, very handsome paperback, which you signed. Thank you very much. And talk to us about that process. How do you take that as a jumping off point 
to create a whole narrative and a story that I guess is in some ways certainly pays a nod to the reality, but also makes it entertaining and expands upon it. I'm like you, both of us, I think we're around the same age in search of literally cemented what I was going to do in life. <laughs> there were left, rights, lefts and rights along the way, but I eventually, all right, I'm living in this world of monsters, ghosts, and the paranormal. <laughs> and, and can I say something about that? I thought the same thing. Like I never knew the thing is I didn't know for, oh, about 30 years the, or, or more than 30 years because this really didn't become my job until 2012. But the funny thing is, is that show, which I'm looking at the DVD collection right now on the shelf, that show was in some ways one of the most formative things I ever did in my life. And most people think of Nimoy uh, for Star Trek, and obviously I understand that. But the guy, and I know he was the face of it, and they had producers and writers and researchers and all that, but literally set the stage for what I ended up doing with my life and how many other people like me and like you. That's amazing to me. Didn't mean to interrupt, but that just you said that, that was so, that resonated with me so much. Oh, it's a common theme with people I in the, especially the horror field. Those of us, anyone over the age of 35 was deeply influenced by In Search Of. And I just knew that I wanted to do something when I grew up that dealt with all those topics. I didn't know it would become writing, but I've kind of lucked into this and uh, have found great publishers and editors who want me to – I mean they know that I am really – I don't just write this stuff for a paycheck because if, let me tell you, if you're going to write uh, cryptid horror books <laughs> to make a living, right. you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're going to be living in a cardboard box in no time. So you, you have to do it for love. And I absolutely love, I have a passion for uh, the subject. And I also have a passion for I, a big time horror fan. I'm like, right now I'm sitting here, I'm surrounded by horror memorabilia. Thanks to dad who made me a horror nut at age four. So I, it was a way for me to combine both of my passions. And what I try to do with a book like The Jersey Devil is I try to introduce people to the legend of the Jersey Devil. So there's a lot of the history of the Jersey Devil in there. I sprinkle it throughout the book so you get an idea of the quote unquote facts behind the Jersey Devil. And then I also try to bring in some of the other things that go on uh, in the area uh, to kind of explain why the Jersey Devil is making an appearance now. In my case, bring it back to the Sopranos, the, the Pine Barrens are known as a, were known as a dumping ground for the mafia, for undesirables that they needed to get rid of their bodies. I change it a little bit where I put uh, mob-controlled toxic waste dumping out in the Barrens. So that's where they were just kind of dumping illegally various chemicals that shouldn't have been put anywhere uh in the in the woods especially someplace where anybody could stumble upon it so in my case it's you you take your toxic chemicals you introduce a, a strange creature known as the jersey devil out there and then as my editor always tells me when i said i wanted to do a book about the jersey devil he says how about jersey devils plural ah. <laughs> I mean, because we both agreed. We said, look, if there is a Jersey Devil, we it's probably not uh, 250 years old. We'll assume that there is. They, it mates and it carries on the line and its children. So he says, there's got to be Jersey Devil babies. So let's amp this up. So that's what, that's when he and I get together. It's we, we start at a level five and then we take it to a level 11 in no time. But that's all part of the fun of it. So you're, you're learning a little something about the history of that particular cryptid and that area. 
And then you're getting just a crazy nonstop action book with uh, characters that you'll grow to love and then hopefully weep when they bite the dust. <laughs> and the thing is, is that I think I, I think there's this feeling out there that, for example, let's say that you wanted to do a, a serious book about cryptids. There might be a camp out there that would discount you because they would say, oh, oh, that's just, uh, you know, he's just a novelist. He just makes stuff up. Well, I think that people can walk and chew gum at the same time. And I think that, for example, somebody can enjoy a show like The X-Files, but still believe there's something real to UFOs. And I think that somewhere that's been lost. The idea, if you're a fan of this kind of themed entertainment You've lost touch with reality, and anytime you consider some of this to be potentially real, that well, discount what that person says. They're an X Files fan. Yeah, no, and that's pretty sad. I have a good friendship with Lauren Coleman, who is the man who gave us things like the Jersey Devil, uh, the Montauk Monster, the Dobert Demon. He has the Cryptozoology Museum up in Maine, of course. And I run ideas by him, and a couple of times I said, you know what? I'm not going to write a book like you write because that's your territory. You do that a great job of that. Nick Redfern does great work. Uh, Lyle Blackburn, who's been on my show a couple of times, does fantastic work in that area. And Lauren told me one day, he goes, I love what you do. So I would love to write a book where, you know, it's the, the whatever cryptid goes crazy and then there's a, there's a plot to get it. So um, when I was up at his museum, when I was just finished the Montauk Monster, I said, what other – cryptid doesn't get enough attention and love and he said you should do something on the dober demon because he was there when that happened in the 70s in massachusetts and he says that's one case that still confounds me and nobody ever recanted their story there so it was just very funny the month that i was putting the ideas together he was sending me emails with uh different ideas about the military coming in and all out battles so <laughs> and he's somebody who's he is cryptozoology uh right now he's He's the man and he's still having fun with it. And I think that's the key. In, in life with everything, you have to have some fun. It can't all be serious. I think you go too far on one side and people like, uh, they stop listening to you. So I like to show how, my passion, how serious I am about these various cryptids, but also just have fun with it. Because literally if they do, if a lot of these exist and if there are many of them, it's going to be terrifying. So, and then I just try to amp that up just a little bit more. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it is a fascinating, fascinating treatment of it. And I think it's kind of fun because I, I think even if you're like most of the stuff I do with this stuff, even though I do love some kind of horror entertainment and, and uh, some entertainment about the paranormal, since this is my job, 90 percent of what I do is actually based on, OK, what do you think really happened? But I think in some ways it serves us to look at entertainment sometimes because it might expand our thinking. And it's, it's funny. Um, I just watched a clip and uh, a scientist said something like, well, sci-fi used to totally outstrip physics and now physics is outstripping sci-fi like it's going even further and i think it's interesting to broaden your mind when you watch entertainment you know i th i believe our brains are like this big stew and stuff sits and it ruminates and you don't know where the connections will be made and i think in some ways when we look at entertainment whether we do it consciously or subconsciously something sticks and then you know we're thinking about these things for lack of a better term seriously and then you think you know could that be could that be? 
could that be? You know, for example, I just finished the second season of The Man in the High Castle on Amazon Prime, which is uh, – spoiler alert <laughs> – seriously, spoiler alert, but there are alternate uh, universes in that show. And it really does make you think, though. Is there is there a world somewhere where the Nazis won the Second World War? You know, is there somewhere where Jersey Devil's walking around? But l- watching entertainment, reading entertainment like what you've done here, I think it's m- – it might seem silly, not not that the, the, the book is silly, but the idea, what I'm suggesting might be silly. But I really think it expands your mind when you go back and you look at these things seriously. Uh, absolutely. One of the, the best things that has come out of this is when readers will read a, a Montauk Monster or something, they'll come back to me and they'll say, I've never seen a book that's about a monster that's real. And then they get interested in other things and they write back to me and say, oh, I just did all this research and I found – I researched Thunderbirds. Have you heard of Thunderbirds? So I, I get a lot of readers that come back to me who are really expanding their love of cryptozoology. So this, this weird little step into crypto entertainment got them interested in real cryptozoology. And I've had people who have said, you know, I'm making a trek over to the International Cryptozoology Museum because I'm really – I love this or, you know, I'm, they're buying other people's books. And so it's fantastic that – and it's kind of like when we grew up, we watched Bugs Bunny. Well, I – thanks to Bugs Bunny, I got an appreciation of classical music even though at the time I didn't know that the music playing in Looney Tunes was coming from Beethoven and Bach. And I also got my appreciation for literature through comic books when I used to do the comic book adaptations of uh, things like The Odyssey and The Mask of the Red Death and things like that. So it's great to expose people that might never, ever take a look at a book about a real book about the Jersey Devil. And they took a chance on this because they said, well, this looks like a lot of fun and I kind of like this kind of high octane adventure. And then it just takes them in a whole different world. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to your kind of full circle, you're kind of doing what In Search Of did in a different way. You're introducing people to a topic and then they say, you know, I want to find out the legend behind this and what's really behind this story. I think that's pretty cool. And I, I maybe, maybe you didn't even think of that, but you're actually doing for other people what In Search Of did for you. Yeah, I literally was just going, oh, I just get to do this stuff that I love to talk about. Uh, But now I'm seeing that there are consequences and good consequences to it. I do. One of the most fascinating things I researched was Montauk because Montauk Rich is right on the eastern tip of Long Island. We were I was doing research on the Montauk Monster, which is an actual body that washed up uh, on the beach. And I had other people with me doing some research. And we went out there and I realized, I'm like, wait a second, there's Camp Hero out here, which is an underground military base that's been linked to the Montauk Project, which is an offshoot of the Philadelphia Experiment. Uh, There was mind control experiments and time travel experiments out there. Uh, You've got Plum Island Facility, which is a secret facility that was studying animal diseases, but was started, I found out, by a Nazi scientist that was brought over in Project Paperclip in the 50s. So the more things I looked into Montauk, I said, there's too many things for a book in here. But I, when I went around on a speaking tour of it, I was telling everybody about all the different aspects that I couldn't pull into the book just because, you know, time, time and space constraints. But it got people looking into all – they're like, I never heard of Plum Island. We had Nazis over here right in New York that were running facilities. I said, yes. So we all learned something new with that book. And it just 
it makes the world a far more interesting place when you realize how many actual strange things are out there that aren't necessarily uh, a hoax or just paranormal, just the actual strange reality that is around us all the time. It's just, I love it. This is why I love waking up in the morning and going to work, which is, you know, two feet from my bed. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> it's a nice feeling, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. So it's just, it's been, it's been an absolutely great ride. And I really appreciate the folks that have taken the time to read the books and just tell me their thoughts about just the world in general and cryptozoology and monsters. And they've come to me with their ghost stories. And it's just been a phenomenal dialogue that's been started because of this. Absolutely. So the question is, where can people find your website, your video podcast, and your books? Everything is in one place. So if folks go to huntershay.com, I have I have my uh, running blog on there and all my books are listed on there, as well as links to go to the Monster Men podcast, which is a video podcast. And if you go there now, we have an interview with Lyle Blackburn. So, uh, And we have Nick Redfern coming up. So... Stay tuned. It's going to get very interesting. Good stuff. Hunter Shea, he is the author of multiple books, the most recent, The Jersey Devil. Check it out. Hunter, thank you for joining us today on The Cryptid Report. Thank you so much, Jim. Well, thank you for tuning in to The Cryptid Report and being a Plus Club member. We appreciate it very much. Exciting things coming in the Plus Club for 2017. We're working diligently and trying to move towards a unified app and login where things will be much easier to listen to going forward. That's going to take a few months because it's a huge undertaking, but stay tuned for more. I think that you'll like it. We thank you so much for being a member and listening to the Cryptid Report. We'll talk to you next time and have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>